This week on Grubstakers, we're talking about the WB himself, Warren Buffett. We look into his many scandals, his family history, and everything about him that's pretty cool and badass. Check out his McDonald's habits and everything more this week on Grubstakers. Because of my success in the private sector, I had the chance to run America's largest city for 12 years. I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up feeling targeted for your race. And that's just, that's just not true. You know, I love having the support of real billionaires. Hey, 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 welcome to Grubstakers. My name is Yogi Polywall. We've got my esteemed gentlemen friends. Steve Jeffries. Andy Palmer. Uh, Sean McCarthy. And today we're going to be talking about the man, the boy, the Bernie Sanders of billionaires, Warren Buffett, ladies and gentlemen. The friendly billionaire grandpa. Oh, you know it. Like the nice man who like owns the entire economy. <laughs> the guy, um, <clears throat> the uh, third richest man in the world uh, as of March 2018. Both Forbes and Bloomberg have him at $88.8 billion net worth. If Futurama had a dad corporation, it would be Warren Buffett. That's really who this man is. It was interesting because, like, we did the Oprah episode, and Oprah's, like, not a terrible person for a billionaire, you know? And so it's... Uh, I mean, Andy doesn't like her because she's black, but... <laughs> and a woman. And Andy... <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, well, but so anyways, we did the Oprah episode and it's like, she's not a terrible person, so it's like hard because the podcast only really works when we're talking about shitty people and making fun of how bad they are. And so you get this impression from Warren Buffett's public persona that he's like this friendly grandpa who like only collects a $100,000 salary and still lives in the same house. And, you know, he says it's unfair that his secretary pays more in taxes than he does. So that yeah, means so we decided to do another dud episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That means he must be a nice billionaire, you know? But then, like, you actually start researching, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, he owns the uh, mobile home foreclosure unit, and he owns, you know, the uh, Coca-Cola company that's, like, murdering union workers in Colombia. He owns 10% of it. You know, and so it's like you just start, like, looking at these things. Oh, he owns, like, General Reinsurance, which is, like, a fraud mill. And uh, Also, if he has $88 billion, why doesn't he give his secretary some stock options? <laughs> yeah, yeah, at least. The Buffett rule. Um, rule number one, never lose money. Rule number two, never forget rule number one. But it's just weird. Like, uh, it, it, just that the guy who's the third richest man in the world, and then you start doing research and you're like shocked at all this shit he owns. Yeah, it's and, crazy. And then in your head you're like, I'm not sure why I thought you could be the third richest person in the world without owning a bunch of stuff. But, you know, it turns out, like, a lot of things in uh, the American economy that are not particularly fair are <laughs> owned by Mr. Buffett, the friendly grandpa billionaire, the Oracle of Omaha, as it were. But um, I guess we'll just start with some brief biography, and then we can talk a bit more about his companies. Yeah, he was uh, born in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, in 1930. A nice young boy he's um, uh, 87 years old today as of march 2018 his dad howard buffett was a congressman four-term congressman four-term congressman and also he's a self-made billionaire that's right <laughs> yes um and his mom was a part of the estonian stall family i don't know what that means but it kept coming up so if our listeners know find out and buffett has two sisters and kind of have like a decent childhood. I mean, nothing too crazy. No, no murders. No, no rape or nothing. Um, he bought his first stock when he was 11 years old. That's right. That's right. right. Um, his mom like would have headaches and would get really shitty. And so Buffett basically liked numbers. He liked numbers and he liked figuring out what it means to profit. He liked numbers because they wouldn't hit him with a broom. <laughs> <laughs> His his first first math problem was uh, twenty union leaders minus ten equals zero problems. <laughs> um, he like was a, he was like a class prankster at a certain point. At a certain point, he stopped giving a shit about uh, grades because he was just kind of done with what school meant. But he 
got through it because his dad was like, go to college and figure this shit out. He applied for Harvard, and they rejected him. And a few of the professors that worked at Columbia, he was reading their uh, like books about finance. And so he wrote them a letter being like, hey, I thought you guys were dead, but it turns out you're not, and you're teaching at Columbia. I would love to learn from you. And they're like, all right. And so they admitted him, <laughs> which uh, goes to show you, if you write a nice letter, people will let you do stuff you probably shouldn't need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you got to butter them up. Do a little uh, do a little stroking. Yeah, a little stroking, uh, a little poking. A little tongue work. Oh, tongue work. Andy. Yowza! Disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he goes to Columbia and he uh, takes the Dale Carnegie classes and gets better at public speaking and stuff. And then How to f- win friends and influence people. That's right. And it's good at eye contact, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, repeating someone's name so as to endear yourself to them. Yes, Andy. Thank you, Yogi. Steven, do you have any thoughts? Speaking no, clearly on the eviction letter you post on their mobile phone. <laughs> <laughs> So basically, he's got a decent childhood, and then he starts getting into uh, investing with his. <coughs> excuse me, Stephen. I can't believe you burped just then. <laughs> um, he starts going, getting into investing, and he's very good. Him and his partner Munning, I believe, is his name. I can't remember right now. Charlie Munger is Munger. Uh, the vice president of Berkshire Hathaway, and we'll do another episode on Munger. But uh, Buffett's called Munger. His partner, uh, Munger, is now 94, and he's worth only $1.8 billion, as opposed to Buffett's Mm -hmm. $88.8. But interestingly, and we'll get into this a little bit later, uh, Munger is one of the co-founders of the law firm Munger, Tolls, and Olson. He founded that law firm in 1962. Munger has since left the law firm, but the law firm still defends Berkshire Hathaway, among others, um, including general reinsurance, which... Might have done some fraudulent things. So during this, Buffett is kind of a weirdo. He likes being a loner. He loves numbers. And he marries uh, Susan Buffett. Mm-hmm. And they have three children, Susie, Howard, and Peter. And um, Susan is kind of like a whips- whippersnapper. She's two years younger than Warren. And she kind of levels him out. Uh, she's really into the civil rights movement and kind of changes Warren's uh, Republican upbringing and makes him more of a liberal than he would have ever been. So, in theory, if Susan wasn't a decent human being... <laughs> Warren would be even worse. Yes, precisely. <laughs> um, she decreased by 50% the number of trailer park <laughs> evictions. So, Susan, at one point, realized that, like, Warren's a weirdo, and then just kind of moved to San Francisco. Like, got a divorce from Warren, but, like, also unofficially. You know, one of those, like, I'm not with you. I'm not with you anymore, but we don't, we don't need people to talk about it. And so she, she like, knew Warren couldn't handle being alone, so she allowed, like, a few of her friends to, like, you know, pop in and just check in on her. And one of them was Astrid Manx, who later on would marry Warren Buffett after Susan would die due Mistake. to a cancer. Yeah, right. So, um... That's, like, the first rule of, like, keeping a billionaire locked down is you don't let your hot friends visit him. <laughs> <laughs> It's weird because, like, basically... She should have nagged Buffett harder. <laughs> at one point, they were selling, uh, sending Christmas cards out, and it was Susan, Warren, and Astrid. So it was like everybody knew what was going on, not just the trio, but people outside of it as well. Yoga, it sounds like you're poly-shaming. Buffett probably had, like, the most vanilla threesome with the three of them. <laughs> they I, just did, like... I think he was just cucking his, his original his life. <laughs> Three-way missionary in, like, the house he bought in 1956. <laughs> And then they ate McDonald's and drank Coke after. See, Warren Buffett's a humble billionaire. He doesn't. He doesn't have threesomes. He just watches. That's right. That's right. He why would he why would he need to have it? He just watches. Yeah. Um, then he does the annual letters to penthouse. <laughs> He's famous for his annual letters to the penthouse shareholders. So they got three kids: Susie, Howard, and Peter. And Susie, there's not much about. Howard is clearly the like successor to Warren. He, uh, you think they called Astrid mother? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think if they're sending Christmas cards out with Astrid, they're calling her mother. Indeed, yeah. Howard did. <laughs> <laughs> um, Peter, incidentally, though, is a musician and has a lot of albums that kind of all suck. Um, he also did the score. You mean the children of billionaires are not good musicians? No, they're not. Uh, Peter also did the fire dance scene of Dances with Wolves. What? <laughs> if you yes, if you Andy looked that up, uh, fire dance with Dances with Wolves. It's like it's 
the thing about Peter Buffett is he's made music that nobody would want to listen to, but technically works as like a music score for a movie about dancing with wolves. And the sad reality is it's like Peter Buffett has put out an album every year since like 19, I think 82. He's like the Woody Allen of <laughs> terrible music. It's all tones. It's all just fucking like, like, it's music that says my dad doesn't love me as much as I'd like him to. And the visuals here. This is really authentic. Like, I really know what it was like <laughs> to be dancing with wolves. I just I just picture him calling some customer service hotline. And they're like, we'll be with you shortly. And then the music comes up and he's like, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I've found my voice. Oh, I thought you were going to say he heard his, mu- his he heard, music. Yeah, this, this would be good customer service music. I just like the idea of like some film company who like needs Warren Buffett to invest in them being like, well, we could get his dumb kid to score our next project. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, Peter Buffett, that guy, married was married to, incidentally, all of the kids and uh, Warren were have all been divorced at one point or another. Um, so Peter's first wife, Mary Buffett, was married to Peter between 1981 and 1993. And she was in a movie called Tucker, The Man in His Dream. She was an actress. It's about uh, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> the man in his dream to build a wall on the Mexican border. Um, the movie is about a small town, small time car manufacturer. It doesn't matter. Point is, her role in that movie is singing girl number two. She's not even the, the number one singing girl. But the thing is, is that Mary Buffett has put out like 12 books with uh, this guy, David. Oh, what the fuck's his name? Uh, Schwimmer. Yeah. Right. Uh, David Clark. Mm-hmm. And all of the books Sheriff David are, Clark? are Warren Buffett and the interpretation of financial mm. statements. Oh, the that's, new Buffettology. That's that good stuff. The Tao of Warren Buffett. Oh, my God. The Buffettology workbook. The Warren Buffett stock portfolio. Uh, the ex-daughter-in-law. This is what I fucking hate, too, because, like, you see this shit all over, like, Bloomberg and Business Insider, and, of course, you know, they have these success books, like, how to be, like, Warren Buffett or some shit. It's like, oh, yeah, well, uh, you're kind of missing the starting with a four-term congressman father <laughs> who, like, works Investor. at a brokerage yeah. and gets you into fucking Columbia. She She's not a financial degree person. She's not... She's just using the fact that her last name is Buffett. And, like... The thing that's so fucked up about it is that this person has a career and a net worth allegedly of $1.1 million because her last name's Buffett and she makes people think that she knows what she's talking about. Hmm. It's fucking dumb. I'm so mad about it. Yeah, it's it's unfair how uh, her father has a career for the same reason but much more money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Buffett kids are, are all kind of... And they're all they're all philanthropists. None of them really do all that much. Howard runs. Howard is going to be the successor of um, what's the company, guys? Berkshire, Berkshire, Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway. Yeah, Yogi did both the most and the least research for this episode. That's right, I did. <laughs> um, so one of the granddaughters of Buffett, I believe it's Peter. Um, it the was granddaughter? One of so one of Warren's granddaughters. I believe it's Peter's daughter. Right. Um, it was disowned by Warren Buffett, mm-hmm. and she lives in California and has dreads. And in a local news interview, she was interviewed, and like she's like, "Yeah, I'm the I'm a housekeeper for this rich family, and uh, you know, we joke about how I'm the granddaughter of Warren Buffett, and I'm like taking care of a rich family, and it's like, <laughs> oh, go fuck yourself forever. You're you're a piece of shit." Uh, Andy, do we have that clip? Uh, what was the clip again? <laughs> Sorry, I found that War- that Berkshire Hathaway owned flight training programs, and I was trying to see if uh, you could link them to nine eleven. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Andy doing the important investigative research over here. <laughs> anyway, I'll put it in post right now. I work for um, a family here in San Francisco, the Tannenbaums, and they're an amazingly wonderful family. I do a lot of organizing of just things in their home, organizing of toys. I think it's a very weird thing to be working for a very wealthy family, considering I do come from one of the wealthiest families in America. And I feel that the family I work for feels 
a bit of humor around the fact that I am from one of the wealthiest families, a wealthier family than I believe they are. Well, yeah, her name's Nicole, and she was disowned by Warren Buffett, I guess, for cooperating with a documentary called The 1% in 2006. She was interviewed in this documentary about the 1%, which was, I guess, about, like, you know, rich people and their lives and the children of rich people. And right. The friendly grandfather, father, of course, threw her out of the family over this. You know, the friendly grandfather who wants what's best for everyone and, you know, wants a more fair society. <laughs> Fucking liberal jerk off. <laughs> so Warren Buffett, his entire ideology is... Ideology? is basically I buy shit that I think works mm-hmm. and I ignore everything else. Right. And it kind of makes sense because he's not necessarily like a intellectually trained person. He is very, you know, middle of the uh, spectrum when it comes to being an intelligent human being, especially in, inve- in investments. Well, he practices what he calls value investing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is huge now. Or you analyze the fundamental sort of like the business case. Of a company, I mean, and project into the future how you think they're going to they're going to do. And, there, and he has like, I mean, he is, he has like a quantitative analysis of his own, right? But but he also just like has an idea of like future conditions so there's this that book, the, the, the company is going to face. And it's called like the Moody's like stock portfolio. It's like a you know basically a a book from the like a uh, like. 50s or 60s about like what companies exist and how much money they're making quarterly, right? Mm-hmm. And he bought one off eBay in this dog I'm watching, and uh, the person buying the camera is like, "Oh, is it like looking like at an old family like uh, uh, picture book?" And he goes, "It's better." <laughs> and like that is the level of obsession Warren Buffett has. This book that he used to invest in companies when he was starting out is better to look at than family pictures. Oh, well, I was going to say the um, opposite of value investing is called nagging investing. <laughs> And that's where you tell a stock that it's overvalued to try and convince it to let it buy you, <laughs> to let you buy it out of low self-esteem. Um, but uh, just like to kind of talk a little bit about what Berkshire Hathaway actually owns. Um, Warren Buffett, as of I think 2015, yeah, he owns uh, almost 38% of Berkshire Hathaway's A shares. And those A shares are worth about $200,000 each. Uh, that's again as of 2015. I'm sure it's gone up. Um, Berkshire Hathaway is the 100% owner of Sears Candies, the 99% owner of Dairy Queen, the 100% owner of Benbridge Jewelers, the 100% owner of Duracell, the 99% owner of Fruit of the Loom. It owns 16% of American Express, 26% of Kraft Heinz, and is the 9.65% owner of Wells Fargo as of December 2015. Wells Fargo, of course, did not have any uh, fraudulent activities in that period. Not that we can really pin those on Buffett, but wow, what a terrible company Wells Fargo is. And I mean, like, all of these companies follow, you know, Buffett's rules for being a company once they get acquired by them. Mm-hmm. But it's really like a wealth country club. It's like... Jo- they provide, like, free McDonald's for the employees. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, basically, like, hey, if you join us, we'll give you McDonald's, we'll give you Coca-Cola, you know, as much Coke as you can drink. And I mean, that's the thing about Buffett that's kind of crazy He's figured out how to have more fingers in so many pots mm. that you don't really know how deep he is into everything until you start looking at him. Mm-hmm. And um, just to kind of go back to his biography, we mentioned he went to Columbia. He got a master's degree in economics from Columbia in 1951. But interestingly, one of his professors, which Yogi did touch on, uh, the name is Benjamin Graham, mm-hmm. Uh, was his teacher at Columbia, who later went on to open an investing partnership. And Buffett went to work for his teacher at Columbia in this investing partnership. Uh, his uh, Benjamin Graham closed that investing partnership that Buffett worked for in uh, 1956. He closed it, closed it. And at this time, and then I got this from Wikipedia, Buffett's personal savings for working at this investing firm that he only got the job because of his teacher at Columbia uh, his personal savings in 1956 were $174,000, which is adjusted for inflation, $1.57 million today. And he used that money to start Buffett Partnerships. So he was already an adjusted for inflation millionaire in 1956. And again, because, you know, maybe his congressman father may have helped him get into Columbia, where he met his professor, and then his professor took him to work for his uh, investing partnership, you know, these kinds of connections that if you have an elite upbringing, you're going to get 
might have facilitated his rise to a billion dollars. And not he, saying he's not a smart investor. Before he owned Berkshire Hathaway, he bought a handful of stocks from him. And the tender offer, they just asked like, "Hey, how much would it be?" And he said thirteen fifty. And then when he got back, their tender was thirteen and three eighths. And he just got mad, so he just kept buying more Berkshire Hathaway stocks until he owned a majority share and then replaced the management. And in the documentary that's on HBO, him and uh, Munger talk about, like, yeah, when we look back on that, that probably wasn't the best decision for us. And then Buffett goes, I mean, I don't know if this affected my decision, but five days before that, my dad did die. And so... uh, Basically, don't piss Buffett off. He will buy whatever you're a part of and then replace it with his own drones. I will say it would be kind of cool if you were just like on hold with a company for too long to just buy it and fire everybody. <laughs> so I respect that part of Buffett's life. Just being minorly inconvenienced so by has, a business and being like, I'm throwing all of you out on the street. Right, yeah, I mean, on the, right. one, on the one hand, it's value investing. On the other hand, it's pretty standard corporate rating. Mm-hmm. You just get a majority stake and get on the board mm-hmm. and fire people. Yeah. Um, or intimidate union leaders. <laughs> uh, so was there anything else to particularly cover from his bio? I guess so. We mentioned in 56, after he left this partnership, he starts Buffett Partnerships. Mm-hmm. And then I believe it's in the um, 60s he buys Berkshire Hathaway, yeah. which was at the time a textile manufacturer, um, which he uh, converts to a holding company. Um, which, you know, just buys uh, other corporations and then holds the position. And uh, in 1979, Berkshire Hathaway uh, went public. And uh, at this point, uh, again, Wikipedia source here, uh, Buffett's net worth in 1979 was around $620 million. Um, and it's only increased from there. Yeah, most of the money he's made, the billions have occurred after he turned 50. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a a majority of his wealth was made uh, in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. The thing that I found was that basically with Berkshire Hathaway, when they would um, hold a few companies, there'd be these float capital, and they could use that to, like, spend it on other companies while in transition of getting more companies. Yeah. And that was a huge part of how he got his billions. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, Andy, do you have anything to add? <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't look like they trained at a Buffett-owned facility. But did you know that uh, some of the 9-11 hijackers had season tickets to SeaWorld? No, I, I, I did not know that. Andy just once again knocking it out of the park yeah. with his contributions. <laughs> SeaWorld, eh? SeaWorld. They love the they love the orcas and the dolphins. I mean, you know, I'm not shocked terrorists love holding a majestic beast against its will until its wild nature dies inside. You know what I just want to say is that Muhammad Otto watching Tilikum do a trick. Real meeting of the minds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> leave, it, uh, leave it in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we can talk about some of the uh, not so savory uh, actions of Buffett's companies, which, again, through Berkshire Hathaway, there's too many to name, but I encourage you all to just look up this list of how much Berkshire Hathaway owns of the economy because it's just crazy once you look at that list and you're like, oh, every time I buy, you know, Heinz ketchup or whatever the fuck, I'm putting money into Warren Buffett's pocket. Every time I fly like any airline, I think, Andy, you were saying that I forget all the different airlines he owns a stake in. They uh, own uh, United Airlines, Delta Airlines, uh, or at least uh, large, I think the largest stakes in United and Delta, as well as Southwest and one other let me see basically all the ones that suck that's that's what i'm hearing he wants an american yeah he he wants to he wants to own the yeah he wants to completely like buy out southwest but he's the largest shareholder in united and delta and one of the top three in southwest and american Mm -hmm. well you know it's like jimmy carter told us uh uh, deregulating the airlines will allow there to be competition (laughs) (laughs) and competition makes things better well, it's clearly, like, it's clearly he just has a monopoly. Like, that's his kind of investment strategy now is to just build up a monopoly in different mm-hmm. industries. Of course. Or as I say when I see him. <laughs> as I say when I see him. I, you must be the monopoly guy. 
<laughs> but so uh, Andy found something interesting at one of the annual, I think it was 2000, I don't know exactly where, one of the annual Berkshire Hathaway shareholder meetings, they issued a custom Monopoly game. Yeah, at the, I think it was the 2004 one. 2004. It was, it was this thing when I was looking into, before all the Berkshire Hathaway, they'll have like an investor party. And it's considered, they name it something stupid, like the Woodstock of Investors. Um, yeah, he called it the Mardi Gras of investing in one of the documentaries. <laughs> I Which, just like the idea of Warren Buffett with the beads around his <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now shirtless neck. <laughs> like, we can have fun like poor people, but we're better than them. Um, so every year, they start out with uh, a little comedy skit. That's a movie. Oh, they got jokes. They got jokes. They got. Uh, that's actually where Trailer Park Boys came from. <laughs> <laughs> In the pilot episode, Warren Buffett evicts them. We got two shiny shit badges to get rid of, and it's gonna get messy. And so at these at these parties, they'll have this movie. One of them, the first one, had Arnold Schwarzenegger, which you realize, like, if you have as much money as Warren Buffett. Like, you can just kind of produce a shitty movie that no one sees. Because you can't find this movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. Right, right. From 2004, I think. Where Arnold Schwarzenegger plays the the Buffinator or something like that. Where he's <laughs> fighting against, like, conglomerates of other massive corporations. And then there's, a, there's another one where... Come with me if you want McDonald's. <laughs> There's another one they made two years later where Jamie Lee Curtis... Get to the Whopper! <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis and Nicolette Sheridan um, both lusted after Charles Munger. The 94-year-old... <laughs> I will say a 94-year-old worth $1.8 is pretty sexy. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, the Buffett's quote after the movie ended was, You may be puzzled why in the movie Charlie always gets the girl. I think it's due to the Anna Nicole Smith rule. <laughs> when choosing between two rich guys, pick the older one. Oh. Because, you see, sex is a transaction. Mm. Uh, so It is when I do it. Um, so one of the things that we found was they sold a Monopoly, or they raffled off a Monopoly game, just a Berkshire Hathaway Monopoly game. In 2004. In 2004. And you can still buy it, but it's the least... My theory is that they just made this so that when you look up Berkshire Hathaway Monopoly, <laughs> you'll just get this quirky little game that they released at right. their thing and not the fact that they're buying industries wholesale. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Berkshire Hathaway, it has, uh, you can look it up. We'll probably post the image on the Tumblr, but it's just kind of cute. Like, I at least respect just the self-awareness of what a fucking monopolist he is because they just put like Dairy Queen and Benbridge Jewelers mm -hmm. and Seize Candies are all like the share, uh, the, the tiles. So you can just like buy these companies that Berkshire Hathaway actually owns and profits from, you know, like a real monopoly. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention about Howard Buffett. It's the, the most uh, realistic version of Monopoly. <laughs> the, the the middle son is uh, there was some CNBC uh, interview with uh, Warren Buffett, Howard Buffett, and then Howard Buffett's son, who is uh, trying to be in politics. Mm -hmm. And Warren Buffett. Was he the musician? No, this is the middle kid who is uh, going to be the successor to Warren uh, okay. at, at Berkshire. And uh, Warren Buffett's talking oh, about... I they're doing it on a meritocratic <laughs> basis. <laughs> um, Warren Buffett's talking about how much he loves uh, Breaking Bad at the time Breaking Bad was out. And he was like, oh, I tried getting get Vince to reveal the ending, but he wouldn't tell me about it. And the host is like, oh, who do you think you'd be? And he's like, oh, I bet I'd be Saul Goodman. And Howard goes, yeah, I haven't seen it. I don't watch any TV. <laughs> and you could see Warren give him a look like, I've really hurt my son. <laughs> He's not even watching Breaking Bad. I, I, I didn't know how much pain I put him through. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess uh, we could talk a bit about uh, some of the frauds that uh, Buffett's companies have been involved in. <gasps> well, uh, so with the Monopoly thing, I tried to find anything where they were involved in any kind of antitrust uh, lawsuit. You know, mm -hmm. the government doing its job regulating. Uh-huh. Uh, antitrust law and mean, uh, destroying the free market <laughs> and in 2014 berkshire hathaway didn't report an acquisition of a building mm -hmm. uh or a building company's stock and so 
they, let's see, they got, they had to go to court Mm -hmm. and they settled with an $896,000 penalty. Wow. Which represents about a half hour of operating earnings. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Justice has been served. (laughs) I mean, it is like, it's kind of adorable. Like, I remember I've read a fair bit of libertarian or Austrian economics or whatever. And their entire idea is that monopolies like self-correct, which is simply ludicrous. But the idea is like, you know, obviously if a monopoly is being inefficient, then someone will outcompete it. But, you know, that totally ignores like startup costs and all these other things that have to go into. Uh, just like start your own airline, bro. Exactly. It's like, yeah, okay, so I'll just buy like the carriers. The <laughs> yeah. Just like start your own fucking cable company and dig all that infrastructure. A lot of the folklore behind Warren Buffett's, like, you know, nice grandpa billionaire status Mm -hmm. is that he lives in a routine that's very uh, relatable, whether it's uh, eating way too much fast food or drinking too much soda or just being kind of a goof. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that he doesn't have to technically do anything, so he only does what he wants to. And a good chunk of the reason Bill Gates and him are such good friends is Bill Gates is very, like, highly micromanagey of time and like trying to figure out the best way to do everything and Warren's just like I don't even give a fuck bro like I'm just hanging out gonna be in a <laughs> bathtub gonna think a lot they both have wives who sort of keep him on the even keel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like the thing is is Bill Gates doesn't really have anyone at his level of like I, when they go to dinner they don't always look at the other person to get the check you know what I mean like oh, Warren Buffett Bill Gates dinner is like who cares who pays mm-hmm. um, and there's a great clip with Bill Gates and Warren Buffett for one of these uh, conventions that Andy was talking about where they're touring this mattress factory. And uh, uh, at one point, Warren Buffett's just like, you know, I really wanted to be a mattress tester. <laughs> I felt like that would be the best job. And Bill Gates is just cheesing with him. It's great. Well, Yogi, you were like, you have to wonder, like, you were a video game tester for a minute. I was, yeah. Is it like just playing video games all day? <sighs> I mean, technically, it'd be better because you wouldn't be under... A contract with Aerotech for Nintendo. <laughs> um, and also, like... I mean, you got to lay on some shitty-ass mattresses. Uh, yeah, Buff but... It, like, test write up a report. <laughs> yeah, write up yeah, a report. Write, yeah. Find out how it feels on different parts of your body. You probably got to lay there for a long time. You're Buff telling it. me you wouldn't want to do that, Andy? Uh, I wouldn't. I I think I think that the glean You're telling of me it, somebody wants to pay you good dollar to lay on beds every day, and you're telling me your answer is No. A bad bed will fuck up my back for a week. You're crazy. Buffett test the... God damn it. (laughs) I've been trying to get this joke in like four sentences. (laughs) Stop interrupting. It's already passed. All right, Sean. Uh, uh, Do it now. Buffett test the mattress. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) He tests the mattresses by throwing them out on the street to see how it feels when he evicts the people. You must be the Monopoly guy. Jesus Christ. Why do I even try? Uh, I was also going to say, you know, every time it's sunny, it's because Bill Gates and Warren Buffett decided to take a walk and Bill Gates uses his weather control machines. Uh, But anyways. um, You must be the Monopoly guy. If you're interested, you can buy the Warren Buffett uh, Monopoly game, I think, on eBay for like 200. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know. 170 used. Oh, that's true, yeah. You want to get it. Brand new, you want new, yeah. You don't want people's jizz fingers <laughs> all over those Monopoly pieces. I think it's just their jizz. Like, if you buy the Warren Buffett Monopoly game, you're coming on it. Mm-hmm. At least once. Yeah. It, it, one of the, like, pieces of the Warren Buffett Monopoly, like, like literally, like, the shoe or something, is on eBay as well. And it's like, who's who's that crafty? It's like, you know what people want? The, the Berkshire Hathaway Monopoly shoe for $13. <laughs> like, what? What type of nuanced financial nonsense is this? So it's like someone's the, missing a shoe. Right. It's like the dick-sucking, like, We Study Billionaires podcast or whatever. Yeah, those pieces the, of shit. Yeah, fuck them. Yeah. Podcast war. It's on. Like and subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it, it's just like that kind of, like, ass-kissing of billionaires where they're like, oh, I'll buy the shoe from Warren Buffett's Monopoly game, and I'll put it on my desk, and that'll make me lucky and successful in business, you know. Because why have, like, a four-term congressman father when you can have a shoe piece from Monopoly? Which piece would you be? I mean, I'd be the mobile home. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd be the I'd, half-eaten McDonald's. I'd be the gun pointed at a Colombian Union leader. <laughs> I'd be the flight school. <laughs> uh, all right. Do we want to talk about the uh, the fraud? Didn't train Muhammad Atta, but wouldn't turn him down if he asked. <laughs> we'll join him at SeaWorld. <laughs> um, so uh, in 1998... Um, Warren Buffett bought General Reinsurance uh, Corporation, or called Gen Re, and uh, Gen Re sells insurance uh, to other insurance companies, what's called reinsurance. And uh, this is kind of a, a field that is very, um, <clears throat> let's say, a lot of abuse takes place in it because, uh, well... Wait, t- an insurance company, an upstanding insurance company that sells insurance to other... The other group of most trusted companies in the world, insurance companies, is rife with abuse. Believe it or not, those insurance companies, which, you know, what? Uh, with my experience with uh, insurance companies, here's uh, what I've found, is if you Google any insurance company, you're going to look at some one-star Yelp reviews. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're looking at, like, 1.3 average. So Because it's like just people get fucked by this insurance company and then leave fucking Google or Yelp reviews about it. So does AIG leave a comment on their insurance company? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so uh, Genry, there were a couple different scandals, but the most prominent was... Warren Buffett's general reinsurance uh, was involved with a uh, deal with AIG. And uh, AIG, under Hank Greenberg, um, <clears throat> let's say it manipulated their share price semi-regularly. Uh, Hank Greenberg, the CEO, the former CEO of AIG, was uh, very obsessed with beating Wall Street estimates of his quarterly earnings and keeping the share price good and stuff. And so he kind of massaged the books. And so in um, October 2000, Hank Greenberg calls up the CEO of uh, General Reinsurance, Ronald Ferguson, and they enter into two sham transactions worth about $500 million. So what happens here is they appear as insurance on the books and in the public disclosure, but in actuality, Genry is just giving a loan to AIG. So Genry takes a secret fee in order to have a quote-unquote insurance transaction with AIG that is actually just a loan. And this is something so that AIG can uh, boost their quarterly earnings and make it look like they're entering into more insurance business and have more reserve capital and this kind of stuff. And um, AIG would, of course, spectacularly fail and have to be bailed out during the financial crisis, um, partly because their their financial unit under, I think, Joseph Cosano or something. But he was like one of the biggest uh, perpetrators of fraud during the financial crisis, allegedly, unprosecuted. But... The point with this uh, particular sham transaction that existed only to boost um, AIG's quarterly earnings is uh, <clears throat> it was actually looked at by the government. Uh, they were sued uh, by the New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, later settled without admission of wrongdoing. And uh, four general Genry executives were indicted, as well as a vi- the vice president of AIG. Um, they were convicted in 2008. Uh, the CEO of Genry was sentenced to two years. All of those convictions were overturned on appeal, I believe, on a technicality in 2011. But what's just kind of interesting is that throughout the course of this, uh, I believe Warren Buffett, and, and my information here comes from the Jesse Eisenberg, uh, Eisinger book, uh, The Chicken Shit Club, which, <laughs> which, which I very much recommend our, our listeners read. It talks a lot about the lack of prosecution uh, after the financial crisis. But This is secretly a Jesse Eisenberg-themed podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse Eisinger? I should probably get his name right. But anyway, so he talks about how Warren Buffett was for this particular thing uh, proffered once. He talked to the prosecutors, and prosecutors were convinced by that interview that Warren Buffett didn't know the details. But, of course, according to Insurance Journal, um, and I'm quoting now, the executives who were sent to prison had claimed that Buffett was involved in the fraud. Uh, Buffett denied the allegations and was never charged. Prosecutors said he did not approve the deal. Um, So, you know, maybe, maybe not. But it's just kind of interesting that he owns this reinsurance company and then he owns another reinsurance company called National Indemnity uh, that did a similar thing in uh, Australia, according to the Australian. We should invest in re-reinsurance. <laughs> but basically... Um, Rihanna insurance? Oh, that's some good shit right there. Re-reinsurance? Overrated. <laughs> but basically, Buffett owned... Uh, no, like technically, they uh, it was a big scandal. They were overrated. And no. Rihanna's never overrated, Andy. Her album was called Antitrust. They made her change it to Anti. 
Um, but uh, so there was this Australian company, FAI, which bought similar policies, both from Genry before Warren Buffett bought it, but also from Warren Buffett's national indemnity company. They bought these similar kind of uh, loans that were disguised as insurance and then later went bust and a lot of shareholders lost out and these kinds of things. So Warren Buffett owned uh, <clears throat> at least two companies that were basically modeled on uh, fraud. <laughs> and uh, it should also be noted that Prudential, uh, in addition to AIG, Prudential entered into these similar transactions with uh, general reinsurance. So, you know, just kind of like a not particularly good way of uh, doing business or creating real value for the economy is to give loans and pretend those loans are insurance. Another uh, Buffett insurance holding is uh, Geico, which you all may know is the company that is single-handedly keeping network television afloat. Geico. <laughs> 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Warren Buffett was the showrunner for that caveman sitcom. <laughs> His greatest crime... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's about like the, that's the long and short story of general reinsurance. I'd encourage everyone to look into it a little more. Um, and then like just, there's some other weird things like Warren Buffett was at one point, the 12% owner of Solomon brothers, the wall street firm. He has since, uh, sold his shares. Um, but Solomon Brothers was involved in the hostile takeover of RJR and Nabisco, which, of course, became the famous book uh, Barbarians at the Gate. And in that book, Warren Buffett is uh, – RJR Nabisco, in addition to the cracker business, was at that time involved in cigarettes like Camel and stuff. Oh, they were into the cracker business already. <laughs> But uh, Warren Buffett at that time gives the quote, uh, and I'll quote it here. I'll tell you why I like the cigarette business. It costs a penny to make, sell it for a dollar, it's addictive, and there's fantastic brand loyalty. And Buffett, of course, said that in 1987 as to why Solomon Brothers should do a hostile takeover of RJR Nabisco. I mean, that's the thing about a lot of Buffett's companies is that a good chunk of them uh, corroborate in the deaths of millions of Americans <laughs> and people beyond, whether it's diabetes or poor health, uh, poor airplane health nonsense or cigarettes. Like, you know, he's linked to death, but, you know, the thing about Buffett that's kind of crazy is he knows how to be a couple of steps away and to appear as if he's just a cool dude. Right. But we all know that he really made a phone call to that Delta Airlines plan where he was like, yeah, you know that doctor that's being all uppity about his seat? Get a cop to punch him. <laughs> I think it was United Airlines. He owns both. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that was actually the other part he was quoted in in Barbarians at the Gate was they asked him to go in on this deal with him and he was like, uh, you know, I think cigarettes is like a good business but I don't want the publicity associated with owning a cigarette company. So it's like, yeah, you know, he's a, a smart enough guy to, like, uh, I mean, I guess, and maybe that's what you need to succeed as an investor in a capitalist economy is just kind of, like, put human lives into dollar terms, um, but just understand that there is a negative cost associated with bad publicity. You know, his his wife did an interview in 2004 and is in various documentaries, and she talks about, like, the Buffett sickness, and it's that Warren Buffett enjoys playing the game of investing and mm -hmm. to him the money in his banks is his scorecard right and yeah. so it's not even that he likes having that much money he just likes knowing he's winning right yeah and that's like the other thing is like when we started this episode we he's were the michael jordan of uh not fixing any societal problems that he is entirely has the power to fix Michael Jordan episode coming soon. He's worth a billion people. Um, Hitler but, mustache and all. But yeah, like it, it That's is. That's crossed him over. It is something that it's like it's always portrayed as charming that Buffett still owns the same house he purchased in 1957 and has like a very frugal lifestyle or whatever. But it's also like you're worth 88 billion. You could like help so many people if you just bought more shit. Or gave your money away, for that matter. But and, whatever. Uh, and he is donating a good chunk of his money at this point. But the reality is, is that he like... He still has $88 billion. Right, and like... You could donate it tomorrow. You know, the tomorrow. thing is, is that... Um, thank you, Sean. Is that like his daughter at one point wanted to do a kitchen extension in her house. And it was going to cost like $41,000. And Warren was like, nah, go to a bank. Fuck you. And it's like, that's the type of shit where it's like, Warren... You don't give a fuck about 41 grand. Like, 
It's his high score. His kill-death ratio <laughs> is really good right now. His, his literal kill-death ratio. Right. I mean, he is like just uh, like the Louis C.K. bit. He is just killing people by having all that money, you know. Yeah. He well, could... the thing is, too, that's most interesting about Buffett is you can't put him in this nice narrative that you could put Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg into where you say they had this idea mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they built it <laughs> like bill gates had this idea to make dos on other computers steve jobs made the phone but with warren buffett like he he's the most capitalist where it's like he had an idea to put his money in places and get more money back <laughs> like he made nothing mm-hmm. and you can credit him for like oh well he invested in undervalued companies it's like oh okay so he's a parasite's parasite yeah <laughs> that's yep. that's his best the best way you can frame what he does honestly i think the most interesting thing about warren buffett is the fact that he's not actually that buff <laughs> get the fuck out of this place <laughs> Um, I think I think I have my own conspiracy theory that the reason he never invested in Sizzler is he wanted to avoid the NY Post headline. <laughs> uh, Buffett Buffett's <laughs> pocketbooks buffet. He owns the Post. That is Rupert Murdoch, isn't it? Yeah, it's Murdoch. No, he owns something. He owns the Buffalo newspaper. He or had whatever. the Washington Post for a minute. That's what really. It was. I think yeah. Bezos has now. That Bezos now. has it. Um, what people don't know is that he mostly wears flip flops, and his fans are called parrot heads, and he's very well regarded in Margaritaville. <laughs> I think his fans are called losers. <laughs> are there there Buffett heads? Of course there are. If you go on like outside any, of like uh, the business the press, yeah. Well, I mean that's where most of this stuff lives. Is like there's the financial success book industry and then there's like the business press like Bloomberg and Business Insider who are always like the secrets to success and you know Jeff Bezos' morning routine or whatever yeah and so this is where like the real fans of these people live because you know it's the high score and you know you can do it if we study billionaires (laughs) you know you know what I well I bet that Susan Thompson went across the country because Buffett knew that the key to making a billion dollars was to never nut. <laughs> Just hold what? that nut in. <laughs> what? To, to build his essence. And eventually she was just like, you know what, I'm going to find a guy in San Francisco. You hold your nut. Loss of essence, Mandrick. <laughs> uh, he, nut, he nuts off once at the annual convention for <laughs> in front of the on the monopoly board. He gets he gets behind the movie screen and it's all like right, I it's made the, this movie. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> I do like the idea of just like a secret chapter of the financial crisis is that in exchange for the five billion dollars he invested in J.P. Morgan, he made Jamie Dimon suck him off once. <laughs> Like I would respect him so much if that was true. He just made this titan of industry blow him, not for any sort of like sexual reason, just as a power move. Sean, mm-hmm. everything's about sex, <laughs> except for sex. That's about power. So Buffett eats uh, McDonald's daily, like we talked about. Uh, Sean, Andy, Stephen. I think uh, one thing I want to mention is if you had unlimited money in your life what would be your daily food routine sean what would you eat what would you go what would you eat Mm, i would probably switch it up you know what if i had unlimited money i would just hire like a a french or italian chef or something you know french or italian yeah i like italian food what you're not gonna eat irish food come on sean the food of your people (laughs) the beloved irish cuisine come on I'm I'm not going to take that from a Sassanac colonizer who genocided my people twice. And the other thing. And enjoyed it. I saw a great take online where they were saying that Irish tea is cultural appropriation of British tea. (laughs) And, like, I was like, you guys fucking murdered us all twice and, like, occupied us for a thousand years. So maybe it's not our fault that we learned tea from you. I got I mean, did nothing you see what a... happened during the financial crisis? How bad you guys like blew your money? Like clearly, <laughs> Irish success story. Yeah. Y'all need to be. Uh, y'all need to be look looked after. <laughs> I got nothing against the British. They gave us railroads. We're yeah. cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's like just railroads in exchange for just like famines where tens of millions of people die. Like Both that in shit's Ireland not happening and in now. India. Hmm? Oh, I said like that shit's not happening now. Well, interesting fact, actually, Bengal uh, was uh, the breadbasket of India. Like it was one of the, mm-hmm. um, I, I got this from the Radio War Nerd podcast. Uh, it was a like, it had the most like food and wealth of any province in India. And then the British came in and started exporting all of that food. And so I think there were like 10 famines when, uh, under the British occupation, whereas before there were zero. Um, and they kind of did the same thing in Ireland. You think but, that's nuts? You know, a, a, allegedly Indian households own between 600 and $800 billion worth of gold. Hmm. That's three to four times as much as Fort Knox supposedly has. So Indian people are both some of the richest people on this planet and some of the poorest at the same time. Wait, on average? Uh, altogether, the average Indian, Indian has $600 uh, billion <laughs> <dollars> in gold. <laughs> you know, Buffett's that got 88, mean, number that two. doesn't mean but... anything to Buffett, though. <laughs> <laughs> Buffett he's doesn't, gold. he's not into gold. He's not a gold man. He's not a gold man. <laughs> oh, the country has $600 million. Indian family households, Indian people in general, have between six to $800 billion worth of gold. Okay. That's crazy. That's like a thousand on average, less than a thousand on average. I mean, it's more than that. That would be if every person had that much on average, but that's, there's like maybe a 10 to 20% of that population that owns gold. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Buffett has a thing where he kind of trolls gold bugs all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. He, um, like, he'll, he'll shoot them, whenever gold is on the rise, he'll, like, shoot them factoids about, like, um, how... There's not nearly enough gold in order for us to even have a gold standard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, support, that's true. And support uh, price level without devaluing to like 0.1 ounce of gold is uh, equal to whatever legal tender. Fortunately, we have fixed that with blockchain. <laughs> blockchain technology. Uh, Watch out for the blockchain episode. <laughs> Warren Buffett did say Please blockchain no. is like a scam or whatever. Or he's not into it. Bitcoin, yeah. But he well, just now like, that we've proved that he's a bad man, <laughs> we know that the true holder of value of the future is Litecoin. Mm-hmm. Buy Litecoin. Sean is losing money by the day. I did put $450 in Litecoin, so I would encourage all of our listeners to buy Litecoin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so I guess, uh, uh, two other things I want to talk about before we run out of time here. We were, uh, if you listened last week and you didn't turn it off because it was very dense, <laughs> you might've heard the story about Warren Buffett and we've made jokes and allusions to it, uh, evicting people from their trailer parks. So I just want to kind of review that and, uh, quote the intercept here a little bit. Uh, so Berkshire Hathaway owns both Clayton Homes and Vanderbilt Mortgage, which is the la- nation's largest mobile home empire and its companion lender, again, quoting from The Intercept, a 2015 investigation, a series of 2015 investigations found that both of those companies, quote, targeted minority borrowers with high-pressure sales tactics, issuing loans swollen with hidden fees. When the loans failed, Clayton repossessed and resold the homes, earning more fees each time. And, of course, uh, from that same Intercept article, in 2016, Clayton Homes foreclosed on one in every 40 properties, which is over three times the national average. So, you know, the f- the friendly billionaire eviction man. <laughs> Sell- uh, selling them into literal debt peonage. Yep. And eviction man. That's my name. That name again is eviction man. Did you know that he bought his first stock when he was 11 and he made money renting pinball machines at places? That's so charming that this man worth $88 billion uh, through Clayton, again, intercept quote, controls 49% of the manufactured home market. And these are some of the poorest homeowners on the planet. And yeah. the third richest man in the world controls half of the market and evicts at three times the national, the average rate. He lives in a modest five-family home that he bought 50 years ago. And you know what? He uses the same you, desk. Do you know he eats the same meal for every the same meal for every meal. It's McDonald's, just yeah, like just, us. Just think about that and not what we just told you about. <laughs> he likes Cherry Coke. Yeah, he's uh, the mascot of Cherry Coke in China. Oh, really? He got his face on it, yeah. And Wikipedia was sure to know that he did not receive compensation <laughs> for that. So thanks, Buffett. He's got his own bed. This guy just throwing some of the poorest and most vulnerable homeowners out on the street <laughs> to run up his fucking high score. Like, this is fucking oh, Overwatch, you piece of shit. 
die already, you old he bastard. Just, uh, he just no-scoped um, <laughs> uh, mobile homeowners. He doesn't use a phone. He doesn't need, he doesn't need a smartphone. He's only sent one email, and it was an email to the president oh saying, Nuke. <laughs> um, if this were StarCraft, I mean, he went. it's a typical four-gate strategy. Mm-hmm. One expansion, then you just rush your opponent. Yeah, he owns. He there's a oh, band named the after Russia. What was that? There's a the in that Bill Gates Warren Buffett tour in that mattress thing. There's a bed that that's named after him. I think it's called I think it's called the Buffett bed. Maybe it's the Warren bed. I can't remember. Buffett bed. I watched a lot of Warren Buffett documentaries. <laughs> I'm taking a Dale Carnegie thought, training I, I, class. The first up. the first time you said that that I thought you were doing a bed. We're like, did you know he owns a bed? Oh no no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Just like us. <laughs> this guy even owns a bed. Well, he does. What were you saying, Eddie? Like, the fact that he doesn't own a smartphone, like, that's adorable because he can, like, just hire an assistant. To, like, you can just pay someone, like, 40000 a year to do what a smartphone would do. No, carry yeah. a desktop. He's old school like that. <laughs> he just he has, like, people follow him around. He around. <laughs> Yeah, With the, the, CRT. the cow, the cow, the cow. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ninety-eight. He likes pressing the button that makes the screen all wobbly. He doesn't <laughs> like the LCDs. The screen shaver is uh, going through the maze. <laughs> <laughs> um, another fun Warren Buffett fact is just about uh, his history with Coca-Cola, and um, <clears throat> Warren Buffett is not a majority owner of Coca-Cola, but in 1988 uh, he began buying uh, Coca-Cola. Um, he purchased again according to this is according to Wikipedia. He purchased about seven percent of the company for one point uh, oh two billion in eighty eight. I think he's up to like nine or ten percent now. Uh, it was a very lucrative investment. I think the stock peaked in ninety eight, but he still made a lot of money off that Coca Cola investment. But interestingly, and I'm not implying anything here, but two years after Buffett bought it. So between, in 1988, Buffett starts buying the stock, and then between 1990 and 2002, uh, 10 union leaders connected to Colombian uh, Coke uh, manufacturing plaques, uh, plants were murdered. Um, and just like one particular story, uh, and share a Coke, not your bargaining rights. <laughs> Uh, there's an alternate story on this. There's also a documentary. So, you know, these, uh, Colombia is a, not a very safe country in different ways for a myriad of reasons, but um, paramilitary organizations are often hired to um, murder or intimidate union leaders and union members. And so one story is um, Isidro Gill uh, uh, was shot dead in 1996. I'm quoting from Alternet here. He was shot dead in 1996. He was, the union, he was a union leader of a local plant. Um, and then, quote, just a day after the union contract had expired and was due to be rene- renegotiated, he was shot dead. Almost immediately, all the workers at his plant were herded into the manager's office and given two choices. Either sign a letter of resignation or die. They all signed. The monthly wage in that plant plummeted from 380 U.S. dollars a month to only 100 U.S. dollars a month. He lives in the same modest home that he bought for $30,000 50 years ago. And so it's like Buffett is not a majority owner of Coca-Cola, but he's also the third richest man in the world, a savvy investor, uh, and, you know, a big investor in Coca-Cola. And so it's like, well, clearly he knows that these union murders were going on. He must have heard something at some point. He's never said anything publicly Orders about this. Orders the same no, sausage and bacon biscuit every morning. He's just like us, folks. But that's the thing about him is he's the ideal American for capitalism because he's connected to these corporations but has no say. But he's a model example for how successful you can be if you invest carefully and intelligently and keep your mouth shut when they murder people. And have a four-term congressman dad to get you all the connections you need to build up an investment empire. His mom beat him the right amount. (laughs) So he could become a confident investor. I think as of, this is just according to Wikipedia, as of September 30, 2017, Berkshire Hathaway had $108 billion in cash and cash equivalents, which I believe include uh, treasury bonds and these kinds of things. So a lot of cash on hand for that company. Um, they're going to spend it buying Southwest Airlines. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. Well, what's interesting <laughs> is the tr- about the treasury bond thing is just, you don't think about about it that much, but... Which treasury bond thing? Uh, that Buffett owns uh, 
or Berkshire Hathaway owns a lot of treasury bonds, basically. They're basically, the United well, States. You said they had a lot of cash on hand, so either you get no return with the cash or you get some return with the treasury. On the treasury it also, It's also like a good explanation of why China it does that is one of our main exporters happens to hold a lot of our debt because we have to pay them in cash. So what are they going to do with what are this company is going to do with all this U.S. US oh, dollars? and then they'll buy from America. So they'll just hold a bunch of treasuries. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, it's, what's interesting is just how sort of the subtle implications of that is just like, yeah, the American debt is very privatized. Like the just how much of the government is held in private hands in a way. Uh, it's, Maybe uh, it means they, nothing, but it uh, it means that uh, if you're wealthy enough in order to own enough of treasure, enough treasury bonds yourself, that it generates a livable income stream just from that. I mean, yeah, that's corporate welfare. Yeah, yeah definition. Yeah. Well, I think like Stephanie Kelton, we were talking about this earlier. Was uh, is Bernie's economist, and she talked about how treasury bonds are in many ways like a subsidy to investor class and wealthy people because. There is a law uh, in Congress that um, I think every dollar of deficit spending has to be matched by you know a dollar issuance of treasury bonds. Yeah. But there's no law in economics that says you can't just print money without issuing these treasury bonds that, of course, rich people buy and then receive income from. Right. It's just one of our – it's how that operationally we've chosen for that to make sense in our system. Hmm. But it's also – it seems hard to escape the idea that like if you buy enough of these treasury bonds – and are that tied into basically the government financial system? Like you will have influence yeah, in certainly. a way that uh, I mean, like, manipulate people. Like well, uh, I mean, tons tons of people do own treasury bonds through mm-hmm. their four hundred one ks and whatnot. Right, right. But they earn. I mean, right now they earn so little that it's just seen as a safe asset. I yeah, think that's the main thing. And it's better than. But yeah, if you're if you're a billionaire and you have. One percent of your portfolio in treasuries—that's a lot of money, and you're basically getting like the equivalent of a household's living expenses paid for for nothing. No, not your household because <laughs> you're a billionaire. But, well, uh, unless you the live equivalent in a, of a median household income in a modest five-bedroom house that you bought for thirty thousand fifty years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's real weak. Would you say it's a stucco house in Omaha? Well, <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess so. Anything else uh, we didn't get to with Buffett before we check in our fun, exciting new stock market game? We're good? Uh, I think we're good. We're good on He's Buffett. He's secretly trained the uh, I bought hijackers. a whole bunch of Microsoft stock. Uh-huh. I bought a whole bunch of Yum Foods. Yum Foods owns Taco Bell, KFC. They got a Pepsi uh, contract, uh, Long John Silvers. Uh, I'm going to purchase Amazon. I think Cash Cow right there, baby. Mm. Um, all my money's going to tech and food, so... Uh, watch out, ladies and gentlemen. We're gonna we're gonna put this we're gonna ride this train out. I think I'm going all in on financial stocks based on the deregulation, on the hope that I can hit a billion dollars before the crash. <laughs> so I might yeah. sell at some point. Um, <laughs> just trying to like ride the wave and then get out before the thing hits the shore, you know. Um, but I'm definitely buying some Berkshire Hathaway because apparently they own more of the U.S. economy than I had ever realized. <laughs> but uh, you know what? If you guys get on uh, this uh, this stock market game with us, we'll buy you some Dairy Queen. Push up that Berkshire Hathaway stock a little bit. Um, the app is Best Brokers. I'm Grubstickers Yogi on it, and the rest of them are the rest of them. Yeah, I'm Grubstickers Sean, S-E-A-N. Grubstickers Andy. Grubstickers Steve. Yeah. And just, just friend us, and then you'll we'll have our own leaderboard. Mm-hmm. And if you have any problems using the app, uh, Andy's DMs are always open. <laughs> <laughs> and not just questions about the app. Yeah. Life advice, anything to do with weird rashes and pimples. <laughs> really, anything you want to DM, DM it to... S- <laughs> Listen, if you can interpret pictures of pregnant Sonic to help you with the stockbroking, feel free to DM. He said, Andy real, sent me a picture. Real Hedgehogs by Raytheon. I think it was it was a picture somebody drew of, I think, like Master Chief from Halo fucking Sonic in the ass or something. <laughs> and my girlfriend, of course, was looking through my phone and she saw that. <laughs> and it was just like, you know, I just don't have a good explanation for why this is saved on my phone. <laughs> I don't even remember sending that, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else? That's good for me. All right. Well, hey, thanks. Uh, Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. That's a hard act to follow.
I was over there finishing the notes on my, uh, on my pages here, and I'm uh, not trying to be cool. I left my reading glasses in the car, so <laughs> we'll get started here. It's, uh, it, it's quite an honor and, uh, and, and quite a thrill to be here. I've, I've spent many, many years here on campus and off campus, and uh, it, it's quite an honor. Thank you, Donna. Uh, good luck in whatever you do. I know you'll be successful. I hope I'm successful today because that will not bear well for both of us if I am not. <laughs> uh, to Shelly Berg, a dear friend, and we spend a lot of time together in other kind of uh, places and, and playing music together. The best uh, music school dean and cocktail hour piano player that I ever know. Yeah. You should see the other side of him sometime. Uh, I've got to give a quick shout out to uh, I had to get speech coaches for this thing, you know. So uh, to, uh, to my coaches, uh, Carl Hurlt, Maureen Dowd, and Mac McAnally, uh, thank you for listening and editing wisely. And uh, a belated thanks to my dear friend, Jerry Jeff Walker. I have to take this opportunity standing here today thinking about when he took me into his Coconut Grove house back when I really had nothing and it came to town not far from this campus, and then convinced me to get with him in a 1947 Packard and drive to Key West, Florida for the very first time. Needless to say, my life took a big and wonderful change towards South Florida, which has a lot to do with why I'm standing here today. Thank you, Jerry Jeff. I also want to thank whoever came up with this cool outfit. Um, it's kind of like a Mardi Gras costume with a purpose. <laughs> and I am a child of the Mardi Gras. Uh, and my daughter, Savannah, a former student here, bought me these great flip-flops to go with it. So <laughs> it's a long way from that Catholic school uniform I used to have to wear. <laughs> 